You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey, Kent Lyles, uh, did you guys out in Olathe, can you feel that? I can feel it. Hey, Jared Lupo, uh, in the, the coolest room in our Roland Park campus, the venue, can you guys sense that right now in the room where you are? Maybe you're online somewhere else in the world. I don't know if you can feel it where you are as well. Uh, you're joining us at visitgracechurch.com slash live or something. Can you guys feel it there? It's finally here. Can you feel it? Everything is fixed. Guys, roll the video. Everything's finally fixed because it's, I believe it's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm talking people are happy. All the problems have gone away. You notice that? There's no more problems. It's It's the most wonderful time of the year. You guys feel that? Isn't that awesome? I mean, people are united, no more problems, no more sadness, everyone's together. This is the most wonderful. People everywhere are saying, be of good cheer. Isn't that so cool? I mean, I, did, I, did, I missed it all year long, it's here, it's back again. Seriously, my wife, every time that comes on, my wife and I laugh, because I'm like, it's the slap, happiest season. I mean, we're, we're laughing because it's true for some people, but it's not true for others. Like, why would this not be the most wonderful time of the year. Well, you might need reconciliation. Like that, that might rob itself of some of the, uh, some of the most wonderful timeness of the year. Like, do you know any friends who need reconciliation? Like those friends are not friends anymore and they need to be reconciled. Do you know any family members? Uh, could be parents and children, relatives, aunts and uncles that are not together anymore, brothers, sisters. They need reconciliation. You know any couples at this time of year? Man, I mean, you hurt for them. Maybe that's you. They need reconciliation. Like that, that's one of the reasons that it may not be the most wonderful time of year. We're starting a brand new series called Reconciled. I want to define the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So forgiveness only takes one person. One person it takes to forgive. You can forgive somebody who doesn't feel bad who's not there, who's not even alive. Because what you're doing is you're setting them free. And I would say, the only way you can actually set somebody free from the results, the penalty of what they did to you, is really by experiencing that with Jesus. We're told Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians 3, we forgive others as Christians because we've been forgiven based on Christ. So it only takes one person to actually forgive, but reconciliation is different. It takes one person to initiate but two parties to participate. That's the difference. It does take one person to initiate, though. I would say you might be in a situation, you need reconciliation, and you're waiting for them to come to you. I'm going to wait till they make the first step. Maybe God wants you to take that first step. It takes one person to initiate reconciliation, two people to participate in it. When you reconcile, what are you doing? You're actually not only forgiving, but you're committing yourself to a brand new relationship. It may not be the same as the one before. In fact, it may need to be different than the one before. The one before may have been unhealthy in some different ways. 
but it's a brand new relationship. And here's the deal. In our series, we're going to be talking about reconciling. How do we reconcile with others? How do we reconcile others together? But today we're going to talk about the most fundamental area of reconciliation, reconciling with God. Reconciling with God. Do you need to be reconciled with God? So are you truly at peace with God right now? Like you and God, when you think about him, you're together. You're at peace. Are you bitter against God or frustrated against God? You can be frustrated and still at peace with him, still be reconciled. Do you need to confess any sins to God? Things that are harboring, that are, that are actually embittering your soul right now. They're holding you back. You need to confess those things. Have you given your life to Jesus? I did it at the age of 19. I was in Blue Springs at a Bible study on a Wednesday night. I bowed my knee. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Do you need to do that? Because if you haven't done, yet, done so yet, you still are accountable for your own sins. Jesus died for you, paid for all your sins, but currently you've not accepted his gift. Have you been baptized since you received Christ? Okay, that's step one of being a follower of Jesus. In fact, all this weekend at all of our locations, we have spontaneous baptisms at the end of every service. All our locations will have a host right there to greet you. I encourage you, by the way, at the end of the service, you know you've not been baptized since you received Christ. Matthew 28 says to be a disciple. You need to be baptized. We go unto all the world. We make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, step one of discipleship, then teaching them all things God commanded. If you're not baptized, the limitation is you don't grow as much spiritually. There are people right now in each of our locations, in Aletha, in the venue, and in the auditorium, that your spiritual growth has been hindered because you've not been baptized. You say, well, I've tried to schedule. I've been thinking about it. Guess what? We have towels for you. We have clothes for you. We have water for you. And we got people to baptize you this weekend. There are no more excuses. It is time at the end of this service to come up and say, okay, I've been thinking about it. Maybe I was, well, I was baptized first, and then I became a Christian. Well, that's like me saying, I wore a wedding ring, wedding ring for years, and then I got married. Well, at my wedding, the minister would have said, take that wedding ring off. We're about to put this back on again. That's what baptism is. If you did the wrong order, wrong order. You're showing the world you're a disciple of Jesus. So what I did, I was baptized by my parents when I was very young, as a baby. Then I became a Christian. I got baptized again because it was now my choice. I was a follower of Jesus. Do you need to reconcile with God? Are, are, is your finances fully surrendered to God? Like, you know to your core, God owns 100% of your money. You don't own, any, own anything, which is why you tithe 10% and you grow beyond that. Why? It's all his anyway. You're, it's easy to give away somebody else's money. It's not your money. Are you reconciled to God in your friendships? Your friendships are dictated by God Almighty. And you seek God about those. When they're not healthy for you, you kind of pull back, create healthy boundaries. Or is your phone led by God Almighty? Okay, my phone, I'm a, that's a device that God's going to use in my life and other people. My interaction is there. Is my phone. Is your future in control of God? Like, God can do whatever he wants. Do you need to reconcile with God? It's our topic. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just, we pray that you would open up this passage, allow us to reconcile with you. 
those who don't have Christ to give their life to you, those who have not been baptized yet to show the world, to follow you in discipleship, to be baptized, those who need to just surrender areas of their life. They've been holding out, they've been debating, they've been resisting, and it's time. It's time to reconcile with you. We pray you do an incredible work. And Jesus, we pray you'd be lifted up and Lord of all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be in, in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, you're going to join me. We're going to be in our Bibles there. Our ushers have Bibles in all our locations. You can raise your hand, get a hold of a Bible. But you can go to visitgracechurch.com slash live or go to our uh, Grace Church app and you can get the message notes as well. Romans chapter 5. We're actually going to unpack two statements from Romans 5 and verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10 has two statements, two we were statements. Those are our two points today. So Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says this. Talking about reconciliation and God says, For if when we were enemies, there's point one today, we were enemies of God. Turn to your neighbor right now because they don't, re- they don't realize the full impact. They need you to help them. Wherever you're at, if you're on the road, talk to the car next to you. But turn to your neighbor right now and just say nice and loud three words. We were enemies. One, two, three. We were enemies. Absolutely. We were enemies of God. But good news, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, that's our first point, we were reconciled to God. Well, that was bad news before we were enemies. Your neighbor needs good news. So turn to them one more time, nice and loud, and tell them, we were reconciled. One, two, three. We were reconciled. Absolutely. That's our second point today. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Those are our two points today, but they're actually the whole story of the Bible, by the way. The whole story of the Bible is that we were enemies of God. That's Genesis chapter 3. We became enemies. Humanity did, resisting God, sinning against him. And the rest of the Bible is we were reconciled to God. What is the story of history? What's God doing in this world today? Well, the world, all the nations are the enemies of God. They are enemies of God. What is God doing this day? He is working to reconcile them through us being missionaries, reaching this world so they can be reconciled. That's the story of history. That's the story of the Bible. Let's take these two thoughts one at a time. The first one, here's our first thought if you're taking notes. Our first thought is this. We were enemies of God. I mean, let that sink in. You and I, at some point, were enemies of God. Think in your mind, what does it take to be called an enemy of someone? Like when you call somebody your enemy, how do you know they're your enemy? Have you ever had a legitimate enemy? Somebody who did not like you, did not want the best for you, worked actively against you, resisted everything good for you and what you were trying to accomplish, that's an enemy. You ever had a legitimate enemy? So I don't know if you noticed, but I'm wearing a Boy Scout sash. Now, I don't know how observant you are, but some of you are very surprised. You're not very observant. But others have said, why is he wearing a Boy Scout sash? This is my actual Boy Scout sash. Um, when I was younger. And this represents three things for me. First of all, it represents whether success, 
and then two negative things. The first success is I learned a love of camping and boating and hiking through Boy Scouts, through visiting places like Philmont and summer camp and 50-mile hikes and those kind of things. Uh, hiking and boating was awesome. So that was a really success, uh, being mentored by other guys, learning a love of the outdoors. A, a, a first negative thing that this sash represents is failure. This sash to me represents failure. Because I achieved uh, the, the level of life. I was a life scout. And I was only two merit badges and one service project away from becoming Eagle Scout. And I quit. And the reason that I quit was I was overwhelmed. I was tied up inside. And I wouldn't ask anybody for help. And my mom even begged me to stay in there, but I was so tied up inside, I just wouldn't ask anybody else for help, and I ended up quitting. Later, I look back on how close I was and what I missed out. I've always thought, man, this sash represents failure for me. Here's the deal. What I had at risk was Eagle Scout. That's not a huge deal. You might be in this situation. You are right now tied up in a situation. You are stuck. You don't know who to ask. You're not asking anybody for help, but the stakes are much higher for you than it is for me with Eagle Scout. I'm telling you, ask for help. I mean, the stakes are too high not to ask for help. This sash represents a bit of failure for me, but it also represents one more negative thing, being bullied. So I was 11 or 12 years old, and there was this boy in Boy Scouts who was three or four years older than me. I, my mom and I were debating, is, was his name Rex or David? I don't remember. Maybe David Rex or Rex David. I don't know. Uh, I, I had a David come up after one of the services and say, can you please tell people his name was Rex? So that was, that's what he told me. So anyway, so I would show up. I'm 11 or 12 years old. I'm showing up. There's this boy a bit bigger than me. In the group session, we were fine, but we'd break up into the classrooms in this church where the Boy Scouts were meeting, and uh, he would intimidate me. He would push me around. He would call me names. He would hit me, and I never told anybody that, but I, I hated going there. He was... My enemy. He was actively working against me to intimidate me, make sure I make no progress, make me feel small. All bullies are closet cowards. That's why they bully. Whether they're online or in life, they're cowards. They got to feel better. And, and Rex or David, whatever his name was, stopped bullying me when I got bigger than him. Dude was smart enough not to do that. Here's the thing. Rex chose me as his enemy. Me. A smaller, weaker person. Until I got bigger than him. He stopped choosing to make me his enemy. You and I were enemies of God. That is the last person I think I would choose to be an enemy. Choosing God as our enemy? You say, I, I don't know if I really believe that yet. Well, here, look at the scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians 1, 21 says this. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. At one point, what made us enemies of God? Our mind and our works. In our thought life, we were not aligned with God. We were thinking the opposite of what God wanted and what we were doing with our works. We were doing things actively opposing God Almighty, even if we never intended to do it. That's what we did. Our thoughts and our works were against the opposite of what God wanted. James chapter 4, the half-brother of Jesus, James, he made this comment about being an enemy of God. James 4, 4. Near the end of the Bible, near Revelation, says this. 
adulterers and adulteresses. Of course, it's always how sin feels to God. It feels like we're, you know, he discovers us cheating on him. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so here's the deal. How do you become an enemy of God? Well, you put somebody in this world in front of him. You're a friend of the world. So someone says to them, says to me, well, see, my kids, my kids are my number one priority. Then you are an idolater. Because your kids should never be your number one priority. They got to be demoted to be godly. God is your number one priority. And after, if you're married, your spouse. If you're not married, then your kids can be number two. Your single parent, kids, number two. Otherwise, they should never be number one. So when you choose kids or God, who wins? If you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. You're a child at home still. What does it look like for you? Colossians 3 to 4, Ephesians 5 to 6. Well, it's God first. Your parents are your second priority. And everybody else is after that. You say, well, my boyfriend. Well, you choose your boyfriend or God. You choose your boyfriend over what God says. You have become a friend of the world. You are actively an enemy of God. Is it your clients or God? Is it your career or God? Is it what you want or God? Is it your being liked by your friends? What my friends say? Is it your friends or God? Whoever, whoever wants to be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We were enemies of God. You say, I, I don't know fully if I understand if I am an, an enemy of God. Am I deciding like the world? I guess the world is kind of like this river, this river, river of motion. You don't even notice you're in it. You're, you're in a drift. And we make decisions all the time, just like practical atheists. We make decisions because everybody else is doing it. You have children, they're being raised, and you're thinking, well, you're going to go to college. Why? Because everybody goes to college. That's why. What if God didn't want your child to go to college? What if God, well, I've got a 529. Are the counselors say, everybody's got to go to college. What if you, have you prayed? Dear God, do you want this child to go to college? Would you be okay if God said no, we've got a different plan? Or do you decide based on friendship with the world? Okay, there's this league coming up. Do we upgrade our league? Because I know my little, my little Johnny is going to be a major league baseball player. I know it. That's why he's got to be in the top league. We've got to play 65 games a year, 100 games a year. I, I decide this based on Johnny having skill and me enjoying it and us having the money. And yes, we're going to upgrade and join that league. Really? Have you consulted God? God, do you want him in that particular league? If not, you're a friend of the world which makes you an enemy of God. Season tickets are coming up, renewal. Well, how do you make decisions for season tickets? Well, I like the league, I like going, and we have the money, let's do it! Really? Have you consulted God? God, do you want me to renew these season tickets? Well, everybody else is doing it, and there's a promotion. Do you take the promotion? Of course I take the promotion. It's a promotion. Really? Have you consulted God? Is it time to upgrade your house? Well, everybody else is leaving this neighborhood. Why would you do that instead of consulting God first? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Is God leading your life? Now, 
When you have enemies like I had with Rex or David, or David Rex or Rex David, whatever his name is, what do you want to do? How do you want your enemy to feel? Well, if you're normal, you want them to hurt. (laughs) Or at least bad things happen. You know, I, I took ungodly pleasure in being bigger than Rex or David. You know, that's not good. That's not relying on God. That's relying on self. And you kind of want your enemy to suffer. Man, if they just, if they, had, they did something to me, I hope something bad happens. If something bad happens, I will celebrate that fact. I, they deserve something bad. How does God deal with his enemies? Well, not like us. God died for his enemies. Can you imagine me dying for Rex? God demonstrates love for his enemies. In fact, you see this back in Romans. Two things God did for us as enemies. He died for, number one, he died for his enemies. We see that back, back in Romans chapter 5. Back in Romans chapter 5 now, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for his enemies. Would you die for your enemy? That's what Jesus did. When he went to the cross, he saw us as his enemies, and he loved his enemies. That's the second thought. He demonstrates love. Number two, he demonstrates love for his enemies. That's how God handles his enemies. It's a lesson for all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, how do you handle your enemies? God calls us to demonstrate love toward our enemies. Not get unhealthy boundaries, not be controlled by them, but demonstrate love toward our enemies. He says that in verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ, I'm sorry, yeah, God demonstrates his own love, demonstrates his own love toward us. No, we're still sinners. Christ died for us. He demonstrates love. Do you have an enemy right now in life that you cannot stand, that you wish would hurt? And is God calling you to demonstrate love toward them, to sacrifice for them? That's how God deals with his enemies. Guys, we, think about that. We were enemies of Almighty God in our thoughts, our actions, and being swept along with society, the world system. So the second thought I had today is that we were reconciled. We were reconciled to God. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's the story of the Bible. Jesus came to this world to reconcile us to God. And and, uh, my question again is this. Do you have to reconcile to God? Do you need reconciliation with God? Do you need to give your life to Christ? Do you need to be baptized after that moment? Do you need to surrender an area of your life? Do you need to begin talking with him, having conversations, sharing what's going on in your heart with him? We see this back, back in Romans 5, verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, reconciliation is over, we shall be saved by his life. What that verse says is that Jesus came to die for us, to demonstrate love for us, and to reconcile us, and that was through his death. But through his life, he's alive right now. Remember, reconciliation is a process. It is the commitment to build a new relationship. And because Jesus is alive, 
He's continually pouring out good things, pouring out grace into your life to build this new relationship that God intended for you. It's a new relationship. You know the feeling between not being reconciled to somebody and finally when you are reconciled? You know, the, I don't know how it feels different? You know the feeling when you're sitting next to somebody or near somebody or you see someone you're not reconciled? That feeling of distance. Do you feel that with God? If you reconcile with God, what will you sense? How do you feel reconciliation with God? Well, there's five quick things. We'll see what we get through. He's listed right here in Romans chapter 5. Five quick things that we sense with God when we reconcile with him. Verse 11, verse, uh, the first one is joy. Number one, if you're writing down notes, joy. Verse 11 talks about this. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation. When you no longer are distant from God, when you reconcile to God, guess what you feel? Joy. And you can rejoice in God. Life may be falling down around you, but you can always rejoice in God. These days I've renewed a process I've done long ago. It's been a while. But when I wake up, first thing I do is start talking to God. Before I get out of bed, it's still dark. Now it's cold in the morning. I'm talking to God. God, Thank you for a new day. God, I love you. God, you are worthy of praise. Then I pray for my family. pray for my wife and my kids by name. And I just praise God. I rejoice in God. Second thing you get when you reconcile. Do you need to reconcile with God? Second thing you get is found back in verse 1. It's number 2. Peace. You have peace with God. You know that sense? It's just the sense when you're sitting with somebody, when you're divided, there's no peace inside. When you are reconciled, you just go, there's peace with us. Verse, verse 1, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. So you sense that peace inside you right now? When you think about God and your conversation and your life, or do you sense distance with him? The third thing you get when you reconcile with God is number three, access. Number three, access. When you're not reconciled with somebody, how does it feel? It feels like you're at arm's length. Like your conversations are kind of, they could be polite but superficial. Like you're not getting access to this. And so it's always with someone you're not reconciled with this. Guess what happens when you reconcile with God? God goes from this to this to welcome home. Come on. I give you access to me. He says in verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So when you reconcile with God, you have access to him Number four, when you reconcile, you have confidence. This is awesome. You have confidence. See, when bad things happen in, in lives of people who don't follow Jesus, they're on their own. Good luck with that. I mean, life is not fair. Life is hard for you. But when you follow Jesus, you're on God's side. And God will take that tribulation, that difficulty, and turn it into three Really good results. You might be going through a difficult time of tribulation right now. God's going to turn that, if you follow him in reconciliation, into three really good results and gives you confidence. Verse 3 says that not only that, but we also glory 
in tribulations. We celebrate hard times. How could a follower of Jesus celebrate hard times? It's about to be turned into three really good things by God, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance is spiritual stick-to-itiveness, spiritual backbone. You gain spiritual strength when you go through hard times with God. And that perseverance produces character. You are changed on the inside. Going through hard times, holding on to God, fires up your prayer life, focuses you spiritually, brings you back to Him. Your character is different. And then when that's resulted, that results in confidence. The Bible word is hope. And character, hope. Hope in the Bible is never, well, I sure hope so. Hope is rock-solid confidence. He is our hope. Replace it with, he is our confidence. Guess what? When you're going through difficult times and you go to navigate that, at the end, God takes you through that. You're, you're confident God can take you through whatever happens in the future. And number five, guess what you feel when you reconcile with God? You feel his love. Do you feel loved by God? It happens when you reconcile with him, when you reconcile yourself to him in your life. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'm picturing end of a football game, end of the Super Bowl, where the team dumps the Gatorade on the head coach. Here on the inside of you, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit just dumps the Gatorade bucket of love. In your soul, you feel love because you've reconciled. Do you need to reconcile with God? That's one of the, things, the benefits of being part of a church family is we're reminded how much God loves you. I mean, we were his enemies. You might still be his enemy. There's two types of people here. There are enemies of God who have not received Christ, and there are former enemies of God. Guess what I am? I'm an ex-enemy of Almighty God who has now been reconciled because of Jesus Christ. Do you need to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Maybe you need to give your life to Christ and be baptized. We have clothes for you. We have towels for you. We have water for you. We have a baptizer for you. We have no excuses for you. It is time for you to be baptized to reconcile. That is the first step of following. Well, I was baptized as a baby. So was I. Then I became a Christian later. So did I. When I don't know if I should. Yes, you should. Matthew 28, become a disciple. It's a follower. Then you're baptized. Then you can be taught all things. Have you surrendered your finances, your friends, your phone, your future? Have you confessed sin? It is time, guys. Right now, it is time to reconcile with God. Let's pray. God, we come to you, and I beg you, you would bring about a work by your Holy Spirit of reconciliation. Reconciliation is your work. It's Christ's work in us. Thank you, God, that we were enemies of God. There are people online right now. They are still enemies of God. May they right now call out to you and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. And Jesus, may they call out to you and say, I accept the payment you made at the cross Please forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. May they surrender to you in prayer. Dear Jesus, I give my life to you fully and completely. May people everywhere give their life to Jesus Christ. May those who need to be baptized 
As Matthew 28, it is following the Great Commission, becoming a disciple, then being baptized, then being taught all things in the Scripture of how they can follow you. God, people everywhere might be willing to step up. The excuses are gone. And to be baptized as a show of following you, they are going to follow you. May people everywhere reconcile with you. Lord, we ask, we ask you to do a mighty work right now. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.